He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Delray Beach, Florida, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome to Evergreen Style Podcast. No, we're not blocking the Suez Canal. And no, we're not Austin Powers stuck on an evergreen cart in, in a very tight place. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just move on right along. Ron Flatter, you get it. Yeah. I think I suggested this to you. Call it evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's flip over yeah, all the that cards. Was, that, was, that was an episode, wasn't it? <laughs> that was an episode of something getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh, you man. know. A friend anyway. of mine who still works as a travel agent and books cruises, I said, boy, that was one hell of a cruise ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. And he gets back to yeah. me and goes, you know it was a freighter, don't you? And I go, yes, I do. I just wanted to troll um, you, my yeah. friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, but we've got an evergreen type of a podcast that I think can enlighten you in some of the ideas because, Ron, you know workout reports don't grow on trees. No, they don't. I know that because I've dealt with you when I called you at a time when I thought it would be a nice big break before you got started on Saratoga, let's say, a month before. And you're like, no, I'm working on Saratoga now. And I'm like, what's well, June? You're already working on it. So I know that you're diving in on these things well in advance. Keeneland having its opening, of course, finally for the first time in two years in April after last year's meet was scrubbed because of the onset of the pandemic. And so you've been preparing for that for a while. Horses coming north to Churchill Downs, they don't all roll in there at once just because they open the gates. I know that. But even before we get to all of that, and that's, that's coming up in a little bit, we also have the leftovers from the Florida Derby and a topic that comes up again and again, and this goes beyond, okay, why, why you didn't like the favorite and why the winner wasn't all he's cracked up to be, but it goes beyond that because you were talking in the Zoom class about what we always see on social media every time there's an Ortiz versus Ortiz outcome. You know, the other day there was, there was a post that kind of encaptioned in, 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 in uh, my feelings as well. Um, a Twitter scribe posted, it was really nice at Gulfstream without Ired Ortiz for a week. You know, and look, the kid's a phenomenal writer. So is Jose. But there's something polarizing about those two guys, especially when they ride at, at, the, same, at, at the same track. And in the wake of the New York ruling where a married couple has to be coupled in entries, why not brothers? Uh, that would ruin the New York program if they did that. <laughs> uh, but um, there is some merit to it. There, there is some merit to it. And, you know, as, as, as much as they're talented, I think they're really polarizing. And I tried, you know, you, you try to be fair about it. Um, but I don't think sometimes they help themselves. Mm. I was going to make the comparison to the Williams sisters, but I don't know that the Williams sisters ever put themselves in the position that the Ortiz brothers have, maybe just because of the volume involved. They do face each other multiple times in a given day. 
on multiple days, on multiple weeks, and multiple months. So that might be part of it. But I thought about the Williams sisters through all this every time this comes up. And that you're talking about tennis, of course, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, slightly um, different sport. Yeah, though you can't tag team in tennis unless you're playing in doubles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, the one thing you, you do watch, when you watch the Ortiz brothers, they follow each other a lot. And knowing and, and dealing with a number of jocks and having a couple of my friends, one thing that, that's, that's really evident is, is good jockeys will follow good jockeys. And what I mean by follow, they will follow a guy that they know will get himself in trouble. Young riders have a tendency to follow other riders that some riders who can get themselves in trouble. So let's say, for example, we discussed how in the Florida Derby, uh, Jose was following Irad inside. Irad was on known agenda. Jose was on greatest honor. And you actually could see where Jose knew Irad was going to be able to make every mm. home. Or at least he wasn't going to get in trouble. Um, that that speaks volume of their respect for one another. Uh, and often I see Jose following Irad, not the other way around. Um, so uh, it, it's just a really interesting um, scenario and dynamic when you're trying to play those two kids in the same race. Hmm. Um, and also in who they ride for and why they ride for some of these guys they do. Uh, phenomenal riders, but it's something that needs to be addressed. We certainly addressed it in the Zoom class as the conversation actually started about why the Florida Derby favorite was faded and why the winner might not be what others think he is. We were right about greatest honor. I thought he was absolutely a play against. And my assessment about collaborate ended up being correct. I thought he was extremely light for him. When I watched him in the paddock, I thought he was light. And when I watched him heading to the gate, I thought he was light too. And that's a product of having, I don't care how big and strong you are, you're, you know, three races in 50 days. It's just, it, it, it's just something that it really plays against you. So, with Collaborate, as I mentioned to you on Wednesday and Friday on our um, gold member Zooms, that's not a hard call to make. You guys can do that yourself. You can look at a race and say, you know, this horse is running his third race in less than 60 days. And and on, on a large percentage of the time, I think you're going to end up being correct and for a number of different reasons. The winner, known agenda, I, you know, I mean, look who finished second, you know, uh, soup and sandwich who's, who's just a decent, you know, he's a decent horse. I'm not going to knock him at all, but I just felt like he's not the kind of horse that, um, that I'm going to follow, uh, in, in the triple crowns. Now, will he be a decent horse in the future? He could be. Um, and then there's the trouble that apparently greatest honor had. Um, I choose my words carefully here. He's not the first horse to get into trouble and lose. He's not. And when you're watching the races, you could see 
that coming up the inside was not going to be one of his best, best efforts. Now, I can say what a lot of people say, look who won the race for Pletcher. Um, I read Ortiz, and Jose is burying greatest honor down inside. Now, that could be coincidence. It can be a lot of things. Um, and all I'll say is I one reason I do not like playing where I rat and Jose ride. Greatest honor didn't have anything to prove to winning the Florida Derby. He's already in. And Pletcher is a big, big supporter of the two, the two boys. Do I put it past them? No. Do I think that that something like that could happen? Absolutely. Money talks. Uh, do I think they have the integrity to do it? I would did not do it. I would hope so. I would, I would sincerely hope they have the integrity that money can't, can't buy them. And I'll just leave it at that. Bruno on regarding the Ortiz brothers, I heard you say on previous zoom calls do, do the do, are the Ortiz brothers known to bet, or do they gamble on themselves, or do you know of anything along those lines? And again, allegedly, allegedly, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I've even heard numbers they make. Got it. And I, I've heard rumors, but but, but that's hearsay, Scott. That's it is. I agree. Hearsay. I can't say without a doubt that 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 they do or they that they don't. But I've heard a lot of talk about that. I, I have to. And I have it, to. I it could just be to just confirm talk. your position. You know, it could be just talk. Right. But it does it does impact it. I mean, if if you're coming from that that specific perspective, I mean it's I'll give you another, well, I'll give you an additional thought too, Scott. Look at all the horses that Irad and Jose ride that you look at and say, why are they riding these horses? And a couple of races later, you realize they got claimed and it's either Mike Maker or one of their guys they were riding for. Now, I have seen that before. I saw that in the 1990s when the Bob S. Jr. and Kent DeSormo were on a, on a roll together. It was the late 90s, early 2000s. And what would happen is anytime we got a new trainer coming in, You'd see Kent DeSormo working every one of those horses. And then next thing you know, Bob S. Jr. is claiming some of them. Um, so to, to bury my head in the sand and not believe that there are games like that being played um, with their top clients, um, I'm not going to do that. Now, you know, I like to give the people a benefit of the doubt. You know, I see it's the one thing is, is there's a lot of people that go on social media and just launch attacks on people. Oh, this guy's doing this. This guy's doing that. You know, and, and, and I think the way they attack, they're being vicious about it without any rem without any 
remorse if they're wrong. You know, Jason's service was a different scenario because, you know, we didn't have any proof until the FBI came out with it. I agree with what he's saying, though. Do it so blatantly flagrant in front of everybody and it makes it look like it's right. That's a big reason why I quit betting Gulfstream Park entirely. I mean, it's and I, I work hard enough for my money. I, you know, it. Well, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, Gulfstream Park is just one of them. Uh, you know, you know, when last year when Saratoga didn't uh, accept riders coming in from out of town, um, it's, the colony had free reign to basically do whatever they wanted. You know, see, the beauty about Saratoga is that a lot was, you know, when I when I started realizing that certain riders were riding horses coming in from out of town. They were riding them to test drive them and then riding them, you know, when they were ready to go now. So that's why a lot of guys at Saratoga bring in their own riders and, and guys from Laurel were winning uh, guys from all over the place. Trust me, a, a jockey colony does not like one of the other guys to come in and, and win their purse monies. Trust me especially if they don't know anything. Um, and I've seen that lately, you know, at, at Saratoga. And when, when last year was really tough because you had to deal with their riders. You couldn't, if you wanted to ship in with your own guy, yeah, no, you can't do it. So I'm very interested to see this year at Saratoga Guys coming in, um, you know, from Laurel and bringing in their own riders. My whole point is that last year was a much different Saratoga because they, we did not have the guys from Laurel. Remember when uh, a couple of years ago there was a trainer that hadn't won with a first-time starter since 2014? His name escapes me right now. And he came in and he popped with a $13 first-time starter. Um, some of you might remember it. Um, but it's, it's just a small trainer out of Laurel and, and he tried to do it again last year and they put on a New York rider and, you know, horse ended up running second or third, but I really believe that I, you know, you, you got to play the connections, you got to play what they do. Um, and, and it's just like somebody coming into your house and taking, you know, and taking your, uh, you know, your purse monies, you know, these riders don't don't take it too lightly. And so that's one really interesting point about handicapping that I've learned over the last 15, 20 years. We're going to cover this extensively when we get into Saratoga and I'm going to show you and, and we're going to track, you know, certain riders riding horses coming in from out of town and, and what their win percentage is doing that. Um, I'm still trying to rack my brains to remember the, the, the guy that, that did it. Um, when you tell me, I'm going to go, God, I can't believe I didn't think about that. So, Scott, when you talk about Gulfstream and you single out Gulfstream, it's kind of unfair, you know, because maybe, you know, Laurel is the same way, but we don't play Ro Laurel every day. Um, you know, Delta could be the same way. Um, I've noticed fairgrounds. I played fairgrounds pretty much co consistently. And I felt that fairgrounds was probably the most truer of, of racing. 
Um, horses' uh, current form meant something. Uh, what was on the past performances is what usually ended up happening. Um, and some of the big long shots were actually playable. So with fairgrounds, I had to learn that my delta figures work really well at fairgrounds. And, and that is a big, that is because you get to truly assess the, the, the racetrack. So each individual track. So now we're going to go right into Keeneland and going into Keeneland. One thing that a lot of people make the mistake is when you're playing Keeneland, first of all, are we, we've had somebody on the grounds for the last 30 days. And I've got, probably around 600 works in the can already that are, they're already been written up. A lot of those horses aren't ready to win first time out or run right off the screen at Keeneland in, in their first start, especially if they're coming off layoffs because the Keeneland surface is not only it's been really fast of late, so they're hard to, to get them fit. And you've got horses that have been racing regularly since then coming in. So what happens is you have to develop a workout report that takes into consideration fairgrounds, that takes into consideration Gulfstream, that takes in consideration Oaklawn, um, and and even Turfway in some way. Um, I've got fairgrounds. Uh, you know the, the the shippers from Santa Anita. I just started. We just started at clocking in New York. Um, we were going to have a lot of information besides the Keeneland information, but overall the, the workouts at Keeneland, you're not, you know, you can't show up one week before Keeneland, before a meet, start clocking and have a full workout report that opening day. It isn't going to happen. That's not how it works. And especially at a boutique meet like Keeneland, where they've had maybe 300 horses, 600 horses stable there. Now, this weekend, everybody ships in to where you have about 1,200, 1,100 horses on the grounds, maybe 1,000. So you have all these horses now coming in. Well, let's say they come in this weekend. Well, this weekend is opening day. They don't get their first work over the track until April 9th, April 10th. Their second work, April 17th, April 18th. They're not ready until the end of the meet. In reality, if they are with the two works over the track. So the horses that have been there are the ones that, that are going to, you know, hopefully be ready to run. But you've got to look outside of Keeneland. A lot of guys will sit there and just obsess with the Keeneland works. Well, this horse worked great. It went 59 and two. Well, I had a on March 27th, and I'm just going to flip over here real quick. On March 27th at Keeneland, that was Saturday, we had one, two, three, four, five, six. We had six horses work faster than a minute flat. They all worked 59 and change. So when you have six horses working in 59 and change, that's a pretty fast track. You even had a 45, you had a 46 and one. You had a couple of babies go 34 and two. 
Now, you know, yes, they could be very talented and they got, you know, but it's not just about time. It's about how they went and what the, and what the trainer's intent is. And that's where a lot of people miss when they do the workout reports. What do you gravitate? What do you gravitate to do when you look at reports? Right to the rating. All you do is not you in general, people gravitate right to the rating. They don't ever read it. They don't ever read a word. And that can be very frustrating. You know, from myself who put a lot of time in writing the works and telling you who the horses are. I'm trying to get you to think and you get guys, oh, well, the ratings, the ratings, that four star, three star. Listen, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're barking up the wrong tree. If that's all you care about, then go play roulette. Numbers. Bruno, I, I always take your all of your workout reports and I start at the very bottom of the page that you provide and I go and I read all the comments and I work my way from the bottom of your of your That's how you do it. And That's I work all the way back up until I don't I don't even see what you've handicapped, what you put together. At least it gives me your observations, what it is. And that way I, I'll make notes of my own. Oh, I remember that horse. He worked out with a horse that I, I, I watched on a replay or something like that. And then as you get up to the top where you have your handicapping done, it, it has a different perspective rather than just seeing the rating and the star or whatever. But you wouldn't believe how many people do. It's you crazy. know, and when I was to be with today's Racing Digest, they all, all oh, the bolding, the bolding, the bolding. I had to tell people, guys, I don't even do the bolding. They don't let me do that. They have somebody in the office do it. They have, you know, and most of them, you know, and I used to get so upset about that. So why don't you let me bowl them until they let me do it? You know, yes, Paul. Now I remember you telling me that about two or three years ago about what Scott was just talking about. And that changed my whole perspective on the handicapping and what you put out. Well, it's it's something that you guys have to think about when you're doing it, and 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 I. But I, I it, listen. It it sometimes I feel like, and not with you guys. You guys, you guys are you guys are pretty good. You know, all of them. You all of you listen, um, and at least you attempt. But do you have no idea how many people just don't listen? They 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 still do the same thing we talk about, handicap like 1999, a golden rail the speed bias, you got, you know, the, the buyer figures and, you know, things like that. And, um, what my, what, what I was talking about Keelan as you go into any racetrack or any meet that starts, I think Keelan and Saratoga, there's some similarities with Saratoga. You have the same thing before the meet starts. You have about 600 horses on the Oklahoma track getting ready. Those horses are not going to be the ones that are going to be running the first two weeks at Saratoga. Most there's going to be a, a handful, but most of the 600 horses are babies that are just up to half a mile or five eighths, one five eighths. And then the, 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 the main track doesn't open until probably a week before the meet starts. So you can't send horses to the gate on, on the main and to be able to get them work four furlongs, five furlongs. That's why at the end of the meet, Saratoga is usually stronger than the beginning of the meet. The beginning of the meet is just a, 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 a continuation of Belmont with horses coming in from everywhere. You, the young horses just, unless they're prepped elsewhere, 
Um, that's the ones that are going to do well over the, 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 the ones that are at Saratoga. That's why Chad Brown, that's why Pletcher, they do better in towards the, the middle to the end of the meet than they do early. Uh, that's why I don't dive in on horses that are trained at Saratoga for the first two weeks of the meet, uh, because I do understand besides everybody, sh- you know, what Saratoga used to start around the middle of July, right? The 16th, the 17th, the 18th. Now they moved it up to the 12th. So believe it or not, 50% of the stable area is not even full on opening day. They're just coming in. Opening week is the first week you start seeing a lot of new horses on the barn from Belmont. That's when they start coming in. The horsemen do not change their, their pattern from years past, even if the meet opens up earlier. Look at Gulfstream uh, with the championship meet. Nobody really gets going until after January 2nd, which was the original date of when the meet started. All the guys come in at the end of uh, November, early December, maybe even middle of December from Belmont and from New York and from other places. So what happens, you really still only the old starting date is really when it starts to get rolling. So in a lot of, in a lot of ways, when, when you're out there and I'm, we're putting workout reports together, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, you have to understand what you have on that track. And you can't just come in, pick up the, pick up the, the stopwatch the day before the meet starts and think, hey, I'm going to have a workout report in a week. No, you're not. You're not going to have any coverage that's meaningful. So what you have to do, you have to start earlier and you have to cover the tracks that are coming in. I made an effort this year to get somebody at fairgrounds. So because I knew the fairgrounds guys are going to come, are going to come in and they're going to be um, uh, big, big players. Um, and I was right. But the, the biggest thing is, is you, you, you have to start going to homework on each individual track and what works. You know, the California track, Santa Anita. Santa Anita, they work year-round over, so you don't have to worry about it. Delmar, they don't. Delmar opens a week before. So when I used to go down to Delmar and I'd have maybe a handful of workers, you know, in my book from the first week of, of when everybody was shipping in, and I'd have to use Hollywood and Santa Anita. People would say, well, the workout report doesn't have any Del Mar horses. Well, what about paying attention that there is no Del Mar horses until a week before that? You know, and, and a lot of the times there is a lot of criticism without even knowing what the hell they're talking about or even any idea of what it is. So, I, and again, we go back to the whole thing about, oh, you know, looking at ratings and look, understanding how each track is run and how horsemen handle the the individual track is, is key. So just going into Keeneland and looking up for all the Keeneland horses that have been training there to win. No, that's not going to happen. Horses coming in from other places are going to win. You might have Wesley Wards with the two-year-olds and that's what you got to pay attention to and, and go from there. So it's, it's, you have to be able to do your homework. And one of the things is just opening up a workout report that has five workouts from the track because they, they just haven't been there isn't going to help you and you're wasting money. 
And one thing that I take pride in myself, I plan these things. I, 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 I can, like, for example, I know that I didn't have to be going to Churchill until probably about the middle of April, because now I think today they had eight works. Uh, I'd have to look. I maybe more than that. But a couple of days ago, there was eight works over there. There just isn't anything going on because I understand that guys are not going to come in and move in from fairgrounds for another week, week and a half, a full move. Oakland is still going. Oakland, a lot of guys stay at Oakland before shipping in. So the Oakland horses don't get to Churchill until after the Derby. After the Derby is when it starts to pick up. Before the Derby, the guys don't want to come in because they, they, they have to shut down the track for the, for the Derby horses. There's all the commotion, especially with babies. Now, this year, we're getting a curveball thrown at us. This year, there is a complete curveball. Churchill is closing on the end of June, and it's shutting the track down for two months. When the meet is over, the main track and the turf cores are shut down at Churchill. Everybody's going to be asked to leave because they're redoing their turf course. So how do you approach that? You approach it that a lot of guys say, well, you're saying they can go to Keeneland. Well, Keeneland closes this July 31st. They want everybody out of the barn area to start setting up and cleaning up for the Keeneland yearling sale. So Churchill and Keeneland in Kentucky is going to be zero horses training there through late August. They might probably allow Wesley to have a few down at the barn down on Rice Road. But Kentucky is going to shut down. Well, what about all the horses that go from Kentucky into Saratoga? Well, a lot of them go to Ellis. But their barn area is not that big. I will guarantee you that a lot of guys who have not been, you know, fully to, to Saratoga will go to Saratoga. And they will be there around July, July 1st, the first weekend of July maybe a little earlier to set up. So knowing that I'm working on trying to get my guys to be up there earlier because you need to be there a month before to be able to set it up and have a report. I'll have somebody at Belmont as well. So this year is different. This year it's a completely different scenario. So are guys going to bring in two-year-olds to Churchill and then a month and a half later ship out? What's that going to look like? It's a different scenario than we've seen before. So that's something that you have to be able to adjust. And when you read a workout report, you got to understand that. Well, I don't see any two-year-olds from Churchill. Why, you're not catching any? No, there isn't many because guys don't want to come in for 90 days for less than 45 days and then ship right back out. That's not how you get horses ready. That's not how you get two-year-olds ready. Two-year-olds are ready by consistency. So there's a lot of maneuvering that a trainer has to make. And as we get closer to that, I'm going to try to get a couple of trainers on to talk about what they're plans are and how to, they're going to do it, um, which also means when you ship to a new track like Keeneland, 
You don't three days later work 59. You blow horses up doing that. You go in and you get them, you know, your one easy work. And then maybe you, you get them going now with two year olds. Now you got to go to the gate. You got to make sure you get your everybody goes to the gate. And that that also plays into the hand on what you're watching. I've always told you, I don't take horses coming from the farm unless they work out of the gate at the host track. We're not going to go through the whole reason why, other than the stall doors move much more violently open and make more noise than, than the, the ones that are handled by a latch or a battery or um, at a farm, you know, a battery operated one rather than a uh, electricity starting gate. Going back to Saratoga as well, you at Saratoga up until the week before when the main track opens, you dealt with the three stall gate that's in a hole on Oklahoma track. That's not a great place to teach your horse how to break from the gate because it's a, it's, it's a different kind of gate than you're going to see in the afternoon. You always end up having to take them to the gate that they're going to break from and break them from there to get them used to what they're seeing and, and how to approach to it. I always felt that during the afternoon with the bell and the noises and the way the gates open and violently come open and all the riders yelling and screaming, they don't get that in the morning. And I think that has something to do with some horses freezing up and not breaking from the gate. Also, the trainers don't have anything to do with getting horses trained at the gate. That's all done by the gate crew, not the trainer. Now, Wesley Ward seems to be different because he probably – some of that, you know, he does a lot of different things that a lot of people do. His horses always break. But most trainers have the gate crew handle their horses at the gate. That's the way it's done. So you have to pay attention sometimes where those horses are coming from. Because let's say at Palmetto's, a lot of the times I see horses break slow in the afternoon at Gulfstream that they're training out of the gate at Palmetto's. Why? Is it the, the crew there? Is it the way the gate is situated? Is it the way um, it opens? Um, so some horses are flat out better than others out of the gate. So for me, everything, there's a reason for everything that I do. When I look at things. Uh, and when I put a, and when I start planning the, for a workout report, we don't make that decision a week before. We make that decision a month before, maybe two months before, and implement it the month before. So that's very important. If you want to figure out what best workout report is for you, get one that incorporates that. That's going to be your best chance of being able to get the right information. Ron, there's a lot more than meets the eye, as we discussed on, on, on the Zoom turned into uh, this evergreen podcast about how we have to plan in advance and take a look at the situations. And you know, last year was an incredible situation. We, that was the new normal of 2020 uh, is, is in the normal of 2021 now. That has changed. We have a new normal for 2021. The closing of Churchill for two months mm -hmm. to replace turf course 
every year Keeneland shuts down for August and part of September for the Keeneland yearling sale because they need all the stalls. So it becomes where we have to not only deal in Kentucky with not having places to house thoroughbreds to race uh, other than Ellis for a couple of months. So that's going to mean that we have to change our entire MO for Saratoga, for any uh, racetrack, you know, uh, that's affected by this. It'll be very interesting to see. My plans are already in the works. I already, uh, no pun intended, I've already <laughs> set up what I'd like to, have to see happen. And obviously, sometimes you have to make stuff up uh, as you go because, you know, Forrest Gump said, it happens. <laughs> is that what he said? I thought he said that life is like a box of chocolates. No, there's the part when he's running and somebody said something. He said, uh, it happens. And the guy next to him thought he said, shit happens. Oh. You got to watch Forrest Gump again. He actually made a reference that he actually came up with the shit happens. I didn't like Long. that movie. Then there's something seriously, seriously wrong with you. Partly because it shouldn't have won the Oscar that year. It should have been Shawshank Redemption. But don't get me started. Yeah, but it was a great movie. It was mm, a it was fun like, movie. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it was a life movie. Um, it, I, I thought Tom Hanks was absolutely incredible as Forrest Gump. But, uh, Ron, life is like a box of chocolates. Sometimes you like the movie and sometimes you don't. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.